Welcome back, everybody, to another exciting episode of the Much Love Podcast. Today, I have a real treat. Uh, Matt has done a lot in the place uh, space of real estate, um, but he's also just living his life in a really cool way. I just got to know him about 20 minutes ago, but I already love this guy. <laughs> so you. at home, please give a warm welcome to Matt. Appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nate. Absolutely. It's a, it's a treat to have you here. Um, for people who are like, why is this guy you just met in your basement? Yeah. Um, one of my best friends in the world, Joe Kurgis, is business partners with you. I'd love to talk about how you guys are doing business together, sure. but more importantly, um, the way you got to where you're at today. Because you're, I think you're at a place where a lot of people would love to be, and they have no clue how to get there. Yeah, even while I'm here, I still have to reflect and be like, hold on, Matt, you're actually at that place where you can kind of like chill out and not stress. But I, I have that in my DNA. I stress quite a bit. And yeah, to touch on Joe, he's awesome. Like, really happy to have him and Kelsey as business partners. It's been an incredible learning experience for me to deal with a different generation and a different situation. So I'm really enjoying it. So different generation. How old are you? I turned 50 in like a couple of weeks, Sheesh, February 22nd. What's funny about that is you come into my house with not the energy of like a random 50 year old. Yeah. We're talking about snowboarding. Yes. You want your coffee straight up. Yep. You look at the art on my walls. That's you see my, 90s hip hop. My people like I, I just had the feeling I'm like, all right, this guy does not act his age in the best way possible. I think that's been one of the keys to my success. I'm sort of like a chameleon too, but this is, I'm super comfortable here, but I really have learned to be a chameleon but I am super genuine. I'm always very authentic and I've never tried to be anybody else. And that's, I really think what's people gravitate towards. You know, one of the things I always talk about is like everyone would go into these listening presentations and they bring up these PowerPoint presentations and I would sit down with people and we would just connect and like you and I just connected and we're obviously different people, different generations, but when you find common ground, people just, their defense mechanism, mechanisms go down and you just become, you know, yeah, together. Absolutely. I believe it a hundred percent. Tell us what is your current role? What is it that you do? And then we'll, we'll kind of backtrack how you got there. Sure. I am the founder and owner of Mark Allen Realty. We are a boutique shop in Chicago. Personally, I've been a rainmaker in the real estate business as a broker for the past 20 years, 10 of them, you know, top 20, some 30 brokers in the city doing like $50 million a year in transactions, lost a lot of my life to like work. And now I've sort of pivoted and pulled back and I'm doing a few deals just to keep things moving and you know, being focused on the day-to-day -day grind is, is important to me, but really focused on building the business and building the brokerage and having this really awesome ubiquitous platform that's super transparent. And the way I treated my clients is the way I'm treating my brokers and it's, it's resonating with people and it's really fun watching the growth. For people who don't know what that means, because there's a lot of real estate terms there, an agent is the person who buys or sells the house with you. The brokerage is the organization that they're a part of. So yep. Matt has gone from being the agent who's been responsible for helping people buy and sell real estate, where you still do a little bit, yep. but now he's actually built a team of other agents and empowered them to be very successful. Correct. Yeah. Through coaching and help with Joe and Kelsey and their training platform that they've developed and all the technology that we're building, the campus, all of these things are really helping build a community that resonates with me and my moral compass and how I built my business, but also bringing the technology and all of the campus life and the community that Joe and Kelsey 
I love, but didn't, would never have known how to bring to the public. They've just done such an exceptional job at. Well, and so the way you and I got connected, Joe and I were at our mastermind group, just talking about where things going in our businesses and life. And he talked about the ambitious goals you guys have for this year. Uh, but he also made it very clear, Joe is the back of the house guy and you're the front man. And I love that the partnership is very clearly defined in that way. It has to be. What did, what did you know about yourself to know that this is the role that I want to play and this is who I need to bring on? Wasn't my decision, candidly. Like Joe and Kelsey were like, hey, this is really something that you're good at. And why would we not use you as that person? So they sort of pushed me into it. They're like, hey, guess what? You're starting a YouTube channel next week. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not. First of all, I do not post on social media. My life, you know, I don't like flaunting like what I do. I love my life. And we'll talk about like some of the adventures I've been on. And I, I, it's, it, when I have this channel now on YouTube, it's really not flaunting. It's more educational, but I'd never posted on social media. So it does resonate again with who I am as a broker and delivering a message of, you know, empowerment and education so it was, it was interesting, but the role was defined by them, not me. I wasn't like, I'm that guy. I had no idea who the hell I was. Well, I think it's funny. The difference where I think the first thing age is going to come into play here is me being 31. I was born right at the cusp of not everybody had a cell phone, but by the time you were in school, everybody knew how to use a computer yeah. and Facebook came out when I was in high school and they, they finally let us on after the, they had saturated the college market where you being, you know, 20 years, my senior those things were things you could really opt out of and it didn't really affect your social credibility or your, your street credibility and relationships. So I think so that true. there's like definitely that different aspect. What has been different for you getting into that space kind of against your natural desires? I mean, this is a funny kind of twist. Like you're closer to my son's age than you are to my age. So when I break it down like that, people are like, oh, that's crazy. Like my son turns 18 today. So kudos to him. Happy birthday, Mazel yep, Tov. Love it. And Getting into this space was a little daunting, but I'm big on training myself. So I went into the deep dive of YouTube and started watching other coaches and watching other strategies. And here's what's crazy. Like I had this super successful career, but I did it myself. I had corporate training. You know, I worked for different companies that taught me how to sell and taught me how to use organization. And But it wasn't to the level that we're educating our brokers. Like I didn't use a CRM. No joke. Like I did not use a CRM as a broker. I was doing a hundred deals a year and managing with stacks of paper, post-it notes and Microsoft tools. That's it. But we're using a lot more technology, a lot more education. So it was a little daunting to be a coach when I'd never used coaching. I'd never been coached. Like I, it was wild. I was, and I actually asked Joe like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, Hey Joe, like, should I go to some of these coaching seminars and learn a little more? He's like, no, he's like, you're so authentic. Just you do you. And teach them what you think is the right way and what worked for you. And also just listen, listen to what they want to do and that will help you guide them. So I heard be yourself authentically, show them what worked for you and then listen, show up and, and be present with them. That's mm -hmm. really the core of coaching. You can't transmit something you don't have. So there's a lot of people who are trying to portray themselves as experts in various fields. And they, they might learn the X's and O's of how to be a coach, yeah. but what are they coaching and what are they conveying? I think that's Fact. huge. And yesterday I did a YouTube, 
um, call. And it was, the question was, do you need a real estate coach? And one of the lines I used was, and listen, I love educators. I have some friends that are educators, but the, one of the lines I used was those who can do those who can't teach. Yeah. So be careful who you hire as a coach and make sure they have the accreditations to be that coach and have the history of success versus someone that's just read a playbook and be like, I'm your coach. And then you're like, mm, I don't know if you are worthy of being my coach because I've already done more deals than you. And that doesn't make much sense. So that was one of my rubs when coaches would call me, I'm doing 50 million a year. And they'd be like, Hey, you need a coach. I was like, bro, I could coach you. Like I do triple what you do. Yeah. I think that the one caveat I have to that saying is that some people do, and then they find out maybe this isn't for me or I'm tired of doing it, which in your case, you did it at a high level for 20 years and you're like, I kind of want to take my foot off the gas. Yeah. Um, I think that also comes with waking up to being at a certain place in yeah. life. What was that grind like for you and, and what kind of woke you up to say, you know what, maybe it's time to just enjoy what I've built. Yeah. Giving back is, it feels good, but I think when that happened, man, I was putting in a lot of hours, like no jokes, 80 to hundred hours a week. I'm not exaggerating. Like it was it doing that kind of volume and I'm a control freak. So while I had some showing agents, I was not using a, a transaction coordinator. I was writing contracts up all night, fielding emails. I didn't have all, I didn't let go. And I should have let go a lot earlier of some of the day-to-day -day processes to help one, fuel the growth, two, free up some time. Mm -hmm. But I did what I did and I didn't have the coach to help me get there. So we'll talk, that was a whole another maybe misstep that could have catapulted more growth, but I'm super happy where I went and where I got to. I think just watching my kids being 13, 14 and then being like, I got three, four years left, like, and they're gone. So I pulled back and started letting go of some things. And I told myself, one of the things I said was, anytime my kid asks me to drive them somewhere, I will always say yes. That's a good rule. And what was cool was time in the car is cool with a kid. Because one, I had some cool cars. So one time when they were younger, we would just go cruising. Like me and my son would literally just go cruising. And I, he would get to hit the ox and play whatever music he wanted. And we would drive through all downtown Gold Coast and like just cruise around the cars. And it was just, that kind of evolved into like, I'm never going to say no when he or my daughter want me to drive them somewhere. And that required me to be around more. See, I love that. And I love the way you told that story because not only did you have the subtlety of like, I've had some cool cars, you didn't feel the need to tell me what the car was. Mm -hmm. And you let my imagination kind of go off to what could the car have been. Yeah. But more importantly, you loved the time together. That's it. Take the ox, you know, I want to hear what you music. like. Yeah. It was all music. And it sounds like your son is super talented with music. Yeah, he's a pianist. He loves playing piano. He loves, he loves listening to music and he's a hip hop guy, but he can listen to 90s hip hop. He can listen to country. He plays classic. I mean, he's, he's super talented and they love, both my kids love music. And my daughter's like a tip, TikTok freakazoid, you know, like, and it's just like <laughs> always a dance happening. It's crazy. That's great. My nieces and nephews are at that stage where they do all the TikTok dances too. They're um, nine, seven, and six. Well, you're in the thick of it. Yeah, they'll come over and they'll be like, uh, let's How's your moves? <laughs> I can't TikTok for shit. Come on. I'll, I'll dance with them, but I'm not, I don't like all that form stuff. Oh, My odd. wife will tease me. She's like, where'd you get your dance moves? I go, at the seventh grade lock-in with you. Yeah. Because we actually went to middle school together. No way. Yeah. That's awesome.
But, um, but the kids will come by and they'll be like, Uncle Nate, can we record a song? I'm like, all right, let's do it. You got the whole setup. I do. Let's but go. The challenge that a lot of these kids don't realize there's a process. It's not just, I want a song to be recorded and that's that. We sit down, we write some lyrics, mm-hmm. we turn on the, the video, we record the dance, they start fighting. We've never actually completed a whole song, but it's something that maybe one day they'll it's have It's the patience. bonding, the things they don't forget. And that's like something that as you get older and not that old, but as you get older, you start thinking like my son's 18 is going to college in the fall. And he's even said to me, he's like, man, I really appreciate like some of the things and being specific about what I did as a father. And I was pretty strict. Like I was tough. My wife was the lover, like all love all the time, but I was strict. I was disciplinarian and I was, you know, I wanted them to excel at a very high level. And I worked at a very high level and I let them know that I have high expectations for them. So, but don't worry, my wife like was super balanced. Like I she's love that. insane. My wife and I will probably be the opposite. She's very strict. She's the education and mm. I'm the guy who's like, let's just have fun because my parents were pretty strict and I excelled yeah. at a high level, but it, I internalized a lot of other shit that I didn't necessarily like. Yeah. So I'm kind of going on the other, other direction. Cool. But uh, it takes takes all. You don't know until you're holding that baby. Yeah, that's true. Who knows? <laughs> we had a lot of good times though. Like we were just in Colorado skiing together, and we didn't. I didn't have any dad moments. Like no, except I did teach him how to ski some powder on Saturday. But okay. otherwise, it was really just hanging, like really chill hangout time. So you mentioned skiing some powder. You're a snowboard guy. I'm a snowboard guy. Yep. I've been considering getting specifically like a directional powder board. Have you ever ridden one of those? I've not. Okay. Not, but it depends where you're riding and you got to hope for powder, right? So if you're riding a super wide board, you're going to be bummed out if you're in the trees and it's a groomer day or if you're just on the groomers. So I don't know. I think you need two boards these days, to be honest, because last week, Saturday, I was in Beaver Creek and we got 18 inches of snow and I was riding a Burton Custom X that I rented. It wasn't the wide, it was the regular. And I did fine, but I would have loved to have the wide because they have them. Like, why would you not use the tech if they have it? So that's kind of where, I mean, look at this setup. You got the tech. We could easily be sitting here with like nothing, but it just kind of cranks up the, the experience a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's, that's why I was curious your experience right now. I have a Italian fun kink. It's like a true directional twin and uh, it's a great freestyle board, but yeah. there's times- Are you a park rider or are you just like a mount, all mountain rider? All mountain rider. Yeah. So I'm- so it's it's a thing where maybe eventually I'll get that that second board, but my wife and I really only get to a big mountain once a year. So yeah. it's- Honestly, just rent it. Like if you're out there and it's a super pow day and you're like, like spend the hundred bucks and get a wide board and demo that and see how it goes. That's what I did. That's a good tip. I definitely will take you up on and that. And honestly, nowadays- the rentals are so affordable. You got to pay a fortune to bring your bag back and forth with your skis. It's like, eh, I'm kind of over dragging that thing around. Well, Ian, something you said when we were just kind of warming up chatting, you mentioned that uh, your wife wanted to get a vacation home at one point. Mm-hmm. And I've had in my mind like several spots I want vacation homes, but I kind of think it's easier to just rent a really baller place when you're there for a minute Couldn't and just walk more. away. Couldn't agree more, but this was a different situation. We live in the West Loop in the city. And everything's coming at you like a fire hose. It's just very like aggressive. And I worked a ton. And my wife, she's way smarter than me. (laughs) She was experiencing my absence. And she was like, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think she thought this through. But really getting me 100 miles away from the city, we were thousands of miles away from everything. So it was amazing because we would get to Michigan and I would decompress. 
I wouldn't be working and we would go and have family time. And it really turned out to be one of the best things that we did and full credit to her. It's been an amazing experience and such an evolution of that house and that space and our life there and the friends that we, that come up and everyone looks forward to it. Like it's a hoot. Well, it sounds like you did what I did and you married up intellectually. It's important. No doubt. Yeah, she's a smart girl. Round out the, the family for me. So I hear you've got a, a son. It sounds like a daughter, a wife. Yep. So my wife, uh, she works for the Chicago Public School System. Super interesting job. She works for the inspector general's office in the sexual allegations unit. So really? she investigates sexual assault staff on student. Can't talk much more about that. And then my son is a senior in high school at Whitney Young. My daughter is a sophomore in high school, also at Whitney Young. Super smart kids. They put forth a lot of effort into their, into their education. And we don't really grind on them too hard. They know that they, they kind of felt the peer pressure because Chicago, you have to test into these schools. And they, they put the work in. I've noticed that the kids who do take their studies seriously you almost have to just give them the container and let them go. My oldest niece, she's 15 and she's over at St. Ignatius. Oh. And it's, it's the same way. I'm sure they probably have one degree of separation. Yes. Yeah, St. Ignatius is not far from us at all. I've, my daughter's best friends from eighth grade goes there. She's wow. a sophomore. Sounds like yours is a freshman. It's yeah. 15. Yeah. Yeah, freshman. And it's, it's funny because- Fantastic school. Here we are, two Jews loving a Catholic education. Yeah. There's something- I, I would say I love the Catholic <laughs> education, but my kids are in public school. Sure. Whitney Young is a public school, for clarity. Fair, fair enough. Um, I, there's something about, at least the neighborhoods where she's at, the public schools aren't very good. So for her to have gone to Catholic school has been a big deal. Yeah. But what I've loved about- it's a tough school to get into. It is. What I've loved about the St. Ignatius environment though, they seem to be doing a lot to be inclusive. No doubt. So me, uh, me and my wife being a mixed race couple, we bring our, our niece, she kind of looks like our child when we're all together. And we ended up on like the front of their Instagram story for like first day of school. Yeah. Well, it's a like, little oh, more homogenous cool. at St. Ignatius than it is at Whitney Young. The diversity sure. in these public schools is amazing. And these are exceptional students and exceptional humans. And I've met so many of them because we have this great house right by Whitney Young. So if there's like an hour or two break, like I come home and there's like 20 kids in my house. I was like, Ooh, like tonight, my son's having 30 of his close friends at our house for a birthday party. And, wow. they're, and I know every one of their names and they all know me and they respect me. And that's why it's not a party. Like they're going to trash my house. They're just there to hang out and like hang with Caden, who's turning 18 and have a good time with him. So it's it's been an amazing experience at Chicago Public Schools. I couldn't speak more highly about the system and the way we navigated it. It is tricky though for most. No, that's that's beautiful, and it, it seems like the career you built for yourself gave you the space when you took it to really show up and, and build for your family in a meaningful way. Especially that pivot that you made four years ago, recognizing where your kids were at. What was the thing inside of you that motivated you to even work as hard as you did at such a high level for so long? I grew up with very little. And I didn't know that when I was growing up. My brother Josh and I, we played Little League and, you know, we got around and we did our thing. But I grew up with my mom and my grandmother in Skokie and didn't have a father figure. And that was just our life. And I, I mean, looking back, there were things where I was like, oh, that was kind of different, but it was just our day to day. And when you're younger, your day to day is your day to day. You don't think about what the Johnsons are doing, who ironically did live across the street and we're that perfect family, like, you know, three kids, dad with the camper and things, and, but they were awesome to us. So I just think I had a, a drive in me that was like, I really want to get to that next level and be somebody. It, it sounds weird and like so cliche, but it really was just an inner drive. It wasn't, 
it wasn't taught to me that I will tell you that. Like I just had a grind drive in me and always as a kid, like I started working at 13, 14. What was your first job? Jewel bagging, not far from the house, could walk there. Nice. Loved it. And I was, I mean, to this day, I go to the grocery store. I was like, bro, step aside. I got this. <laughs> I love that because I'll, I'll be at Whole Foods and my wife and I will have a very full cart. We'll both unload it. And then there's just one person. There's really no designated bagger. So I'll, I'll jump in and I'll bag with them as well. I can't tell if I care about my groceries or I care about the bagging setup. Like put the, like, you know, put your bookends in of the cereal boxes, fill the middle. Like, let's do this right. And these kids are just like. No, you, you, I definitely am with you. I used to work at Chipotle. Okay. And it's funny because Joe actually worked at Chipotle too. And I'm at this Chipotle 10 years later and I'm watching people do things with no regard for how it was taught to me. And I like, I took so much like, all right, Chipotle is not, so you know, important. it's not a million dollar opportunity, but it is a chance to feed your community and it is a chance to up level your personal skills. Yeah. At being at Chipotle actually taught me how to cook in such a way where I cook for the house now yeah. and my wife loves it. But even on the smallest level, do the right thing when you're doing it. Just do it right. Like, why would you not put forth maybe not maximum effort on everything, but like the right amount of effort to do it the proper way? I'm with you. Why not? I don't understand. Did your wife convert to Judaism? She didn't. Um, she is, I'd say she's very just secular. And we have a relationship where we talk about God and we pray together in a very beyond religion kind of way. Where like, I'm also like, I'm Jewish, but I'm not a Jew by the book per mm -hmm. se. I'm much more like, I'm, I'm a lot closer to a, a yogi or a, a Buddhist than I am a Jew in terms of what my daily sure. connection to God looks like. I mean, most of us would be in today's society, right? I mean, we're all, I, I love being... Jewish and we're super proud of it. My kids are very proud of it, but we're more like, we love the holidays. We love all of the, you know, getting the family together. It's an excuse, call it an excuse, but we do read the Gata, we do the stuff, but we don't go to temple, you know, and my kids were not barring my Very culturally Jewish, it sounds totally. like. I mean, I, so I lead the Passover Seder now. Yeah. And a lot of- I it, hope it's short. It's very short. <laughs> and part of that is actually, there's like this generational gap in male leadership, which I kind of want to talk to you about since you've experienced that. Um, but growing up, I had my grandfather. Um, I had my great uncle who's 10 years, 12 years younger than my grandma. And then I had my dad and I had my uncle. Um, but my, my parents got divorced and my uncle moved. So now there's this gap of like mm -hmm. grandpa passed away. My younger cousin says, okay, you're the, you're the male in charge of the family now. And it's kind of like at 31, it feels kind of odd. It's funny because you, I mean, you're 31. I was like, dude, that's you. But I even look in the mirror and sometimes like when my older sister or my older brother, my mom got remarried and like whatever they call them, brother, sister, I, they talk to me like I'm like 20, 15 and I feel that way. And I look at them like, God, I'm a grown man. I'm 50 <laughs> years old. Like they can't talk to me like that. But you, I mean, you have to just kind of put your pants on and be that big guy and walk into the room be like, and it's not authoritative. No. It's not, it's just, they're looking to you for guidance. Yeah. That's all they're really looking to you for. Just a little bit of direction. And to be that, whether it's a spiritual North star or just some stability, because that's, yeah. that's a big thing that we, we and lack. Confidence, maybe just confidence in the situation that you're in. Yeah. 
I, I agree. I mean, so with our Passover Seder, it's interesting because uh, I've been in recovery. I don't drink or do drugs. It's been a while. Good for you. Thank you. Um, but one of the things that's similar with the Passover story and the recovery story is this freedom from bondage. Yeah. So when I tell the story of Passover, I relate it to that. Cool, you should. And my sister's that's in a recovery. life lesson and that's oh, what it's yeah. about. Yeah, so it's it feels like I get to show up authentic, like you were saying. It's yeah. I get to just be me as I am. But that's what resonates with people. Like I said before, like they could see people are freaking intuitive and they can see through that. If you're telling a story that you didn't live and or didn't experience, I'll be like, bullshit. Like I can tell. Yeah. That's why I would never sit up here and claim to be a real estate expert. Like yeah. you, you know it because you've know lived it. it. I've swept the floors. Like I love that I can train people and been like, been there. Like people call me with situations. I don't even need to do any research. I'm like, here's what you do. Because I've done it. I've been there. I've done a thousand deals. And it's just, it comes right out because I know how to manage not only the process, but the people that are involved in the process, which is important. Having done so many deals, are there things now that you have made like a checklist on when you train people? And not just the technical checklist, but like the intuitive things where like, oh, that's going to be a deal killer. Oh, this is going to be a problem. Uh, It's so hard to predict. The training is pretty ubiquitous and just kind of boilerplate where it teaches you how to be a real estate broker, similar to more feet on the street training versus like getting your license. Cause that's just like math and goofy stuff you never use. But that's why I'm there as a person and doing a weekly call for the brokers and being available via our campus or via whatever email text. That's how I troubleshoot. It's hard to predict all of them. So now I don't really have like a top 100 list of, oh shits, like that's happening. There are a lot of those when I spent time at Northwestern Mutual in the financial planning space, somebody calls you up and says, hey, Nate, I need disability insurance. Can you help me out? You think, oh, this is perfect. Like this is something that you're already interested in. Nine times out of 10, they're price shopping. They really don't even know why they need it. They're Mm -hmm. gonna bail on it. It's one of those things that every time I hear that, I go, oh great, a really good lead that's not gonna convert. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't have any of those red flags. That's good. It it sounds like it's been a lot more art than science in Mm -hmm. the process and just kind of. Definitely. Cool. So right now, if I'm sitting at home watching this, I'm a real estate agent and I'm thinking, What's so special about your brokerage? What is it that you're trying to create and who are you trying to attract? Sure. Yeah, we're trying to literally attract agents that are like-minded, have a good moral compass, want to grow, want to be involved in a really cool up-and-coming community. We have a really cool approach and in the brokerage world. So there is that strategy, there is that hierarchy where you have to be affiliated with a managing broker and or brokerage as a real estate agent. So And historically, all these brokerages would have what's called 100 agents in their office, and they'd be at, everyone would be at a different commission split, which I always thought was just crazy. Like, you go to the bar, and you and I are brokers at the same firm, be like, Nate, what's your commission split? You're like, oh, 60, 40. And he's like, 80, 20. And already there's tension with the brokerage. So we've built this approach where everyone is on the same commission split. Everyone gets a 90-10 commission split. We're rewarding the high producing brokers with a commission cap, $20,000 a year annually. If you hit that, everything goes to 100%. You just pay the $250 transaction fee. Everyone is treated equally. And that's something that I just love and really have been so proud to build with Joe and Kelsey And in our managing owner meetings, it's really just been super authentic for all of us to talk about it and it resonates with all of us and all of our upbringings. Well, it sounds like it's designed for a high producing agent in mind. There's nothing worse than an organization that limits the success of the best salesperson. But it really is designed for everybody because most new brokers that would go to like a Caldwell Banker or Remax or whatever, I'm not 
picking anybody in particular, but they would go in and these brokers would put them at a 50-50 split or a 60-40 split. And you're like, wow, I'm giving up a lot of money, but that was the norm. So the 90-10 for everybody, it really captures the No, the you're gamut. right. And I think actually you've designed for both types of brokers on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So what I keyed in on was the, the cap being like, all right, we're only going to take a split up to a certain point, yeah. which that attracts high performers. Yeah. But then also that 90-10 makes it easy for somebody to come into the space. How many of your agents are first time or maybe within like their first five years? Uh, probably 15%, 10%. Okay. Yeah. At first it was a little daunting, but now that we have our training program, it works. And we have a mentorship program so people can latch on to another broker and ask them questions and be able to get answers on our campus. And if you've done the real estate course, you're sort of educated on doing deals. And most will start with smaller deals. Not that they're not important, but there's a little bit more lead time where they're not doing 10 deals at once. They're doing one deal and you know, it, it works for them. Now you said you're in the West Loop, right? I am. So have you created like a little bit of an alcove there? Do people know you and say, Hey, I want to, I want to go to Matt when I'm over here. Not anymore. Like when I was living in Logan square, I was, I did a ton of volume in Logan square and Bucktown Wicker park. Cause that was like my home turf for a while. We've lived in the West loop for about 10 years now. And now I just kind of do the North side of the city and I built a huge following. I was telling you earlier, I, one thing I really pride myself on is I've never paid for advertising. I've never had a park bench. I've never done Zillow ads. I've never paid for advertising. 100% of my business is referral and growth business by design. I love that. I think it puts you in control of the pipeline just by where you choose to show up as opposed to hoping that these other platforms are working for you. Yeah, no doubt. West Loop, you ever go to Brooklyn Boulders? Yeah, I used to climb. Okay. I spent about a year and a half there when I lived downtown. Cool. I was there maybe three, four days a week. That's awesome. I think you get a really good snapshot of the people in the neighborhood mm -hmm. in that spot. That uh, like climbing. Yeah. It's a workout. Fair. My kids went to Skinner West, which is right down the street. And after school, Brooklyn Boulders would pick up groups of kids or like Pow Gym. And my kids did a climbing class there for a little while. I love climbing. I'm a little old to be doing it. You have to be doing it, like you said, three times a week or your muscle memory is it's intense. Yeah, my routine was I'd go in there, I'd go up and down the wall for about 10, 15 minutes. With the auto belay? Yeah, auto yeah. belay. Then I'd spend a little time bouldering and then I'd go hit the weights. Yeah, and the like, bouldering is awesome. I don't mind falling on that like 16 inch cushion. My favorites are the, when you go up and under, there's like this mm -hmm. underhang. And I do not have that strength anymore, Nate. You're making me feel bad. I do a lot of canyoneering out in Utah. So we'll do some huge hiking and then we'll do some like 50, 100, 150 foot rappels with canyoneering. It is intense. That sounds With sweet. a guide, with a, with a pro guide. Definitely need a guide there. <laughs> yeah. The last guy we were with, this guy used to set lines for Bear Grylls on his show. And this guy was like, he was an Exum guide. Like, dude was legit. And I was like, I feel good, but still it's sketch. See, that's where I struggle. I don't have good grip. Like when people can get into the cracks or, or hold on to those tiny little. So I, I like those because they're usually when it's like this, there's a good handle mm -hmm. and I can kind of just upper body strength my way through it. But those those really when you get closer to nature and yeah. it's a lot more of a realistic hook, it's, it's kind of difficult. Were you living in the West Loop? I lived in the technically on Google, I call it near north side. It was sure. right across from uh, Moody Bible Institute. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I spent a lot of time at a big cigar mansion. Oh, yeah. I went to uh, the climbing gym. Those were like my sure, spots. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I'm not a cigar smoker, but Biggs is, yeah. Well, what's funny with Biggs. I actually went there with Chuck, with uh, Charles Barkley once. Really? Yeah, after a Bulls game. Yeah, it's, it's the spot Hilarious. to be. Hilarious. I mean, at the table with Charles. Like, yeah. we were hanging. There was like five of us. It was crazy. He was friends with a, a buddy of mine's girlfriend. It was nuts. 
he likes to talk. So Ozzy Guillen spends time there. Yeah, sure. Um, Jerry Azuma, a few other people who have been involved in the Chicago sports scene. Uh, but R. Kelly used to spend a ton of time there. Mm. And so the last time he got out of prison, he went to McDonald's. And he went to Biggs Amazing. and I got a, a call from my buddy. He's like, Hey, I heard your boy got out. And like, he's not my boy. We just hang out <laughs> Whoa, at the same place. Yeah, like, I don't need to be associated with that. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just an iconic spot. No doubt. And so I, I enjoyed being downtown, but I definitely am more suited for being in the suburbs. I'm ready. There's something about just the, a little bit chill, a little yeah. bit more insulated with the family. Mm-hmm. But I, I do miss being able to just kind of get up and go to so much in a 15 minute radius. Yeah, walkability is awesome. We love it. And the kids, I'll tell you what, my kids, I think, and it's been published in so many articles, I think they have a competitive advantage. My kids are so dialed with the socioeconomic, with racial, they have no like impressions of anybody when they meet them. It's, I wish, it's so impressive. It's beyond impressive who these kids are. No, they're definitely at an it's advantage. It's incredible. That's why we live in Wheeling, because this is where I grew up. We've got enough diversity within the schools where by the time you're in high school, you've met somebody from every main continent Love except it. Antarctica, and mm. you have been exposed to different languages Good. in the hallway, different foods. Oh, it's it's life. Yeah. Like, Not uh, for everybody. <laughs> well, to me, that's life is embracing all of it. That's why we And do a lot it. of people don't live fully because they only like their small segment totally of what they agree. know. But our, our buddy Dave Lasavio, who sat in that seat a few weeks ago, he's got this thing about being team human. And I, I think that his concept of how do you transcend the differences and just think about the similarities, mm-hmm. we really are all on the same team. No doubt. No doubt. And he's more spiritual and you may be more spiritual. And I've talked about this. I never really had a spiritual aspect to my growth or my being. It was always just... I was raised with a really strong moral compass and I was raised in a very humble home. So that's just who I am. And it's kind of carried me through, even with, you know, making a bunch of money. It hasn't really changed who I am. And I'm really proud of that. And I always teach my kids that. Well, it comes through, you you know, you walked into my house and you just had this, like, we're already friends energy. Cool. Appreciate that. Well, a lot of people who have means and have succeeded, they're guarded. And Mm. so the idea of even just like coming over to a random person's house, it would be like a little off-putting. Shit. If you know how many times I rang a doorbell of random person's houses on a listing appointment, like... Yeah. A hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah. You've still just got that, that spirit, which is important not to lose. Cool. Appreciate uh, that. This chair, which I, you know, I mentioned is my, my grandfather's chair who passed away mm-hmm. as successful as he got. He never um, took himself too seriously. And That's he cool. also stayed super thrifty every day. He would go to McDonald's. He'd get the senior discount on a cup of coffee and he'd ask for a cup full of napkins because nice. he was not going to buy napkins. Nice. And so when we, when we buried and the napkins him, I, were for his house. Yeah. Oh my God. When we buried him, I gave, I put a cup full of napkins <laughs> nice. in his casket. I love it. That was, that was his thing. That's next level thrifty. I used to be that way. My wife's converted me. <laughs> yeah. Same. Actually, there's yeah. a lot of things in this house that yeah. would not have been in this house for real. Yeah. And actually all the furniture came from somewhere else, mm-hmm. except for maybe three pieces we bought ourselves. But this came from someone's accounting office, came from grandpa's house. Yep. That came from a friend's house. It like, all works. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer of making the most with what you have. No doubt. And I actually preach that with my clients. I've gotten so many calls and so many interviews and, and situations where people are talk. I've talked people out of selling and be like, listen, you need to just kind of hold tight, whether it's a timeline with their kids getting into a school or it's a financial thing or it's a size thing or they're just uncertain about when and why. I'd be like, listen, hold tight. 
let's let's weather the storm. Everyone's houses shrink in the winter. I always tell people that, and they do because we're inside. Well, not today, it's like 60, but in the winter, people are inside a lot more. In the summer, you're outside. So at the end of winter, everyone's like, man, our house is tiny. I, I gotta get out of here. I was like, let's break this down and see why and if it's the right time. And you have to be you know, genuine with these people. I'm not transaction oriented. Like I was more people and goal oriented to like make sure they get what they wanted. Yeah, I can feel that. When you think about your kids and totally transitioning for a second. Yeah, let's do it. They seem to succeed, excel, have a lot of interests. Um, you mentioned your son likes all kinds of music. Yeah. What was the music like growing up? Because eventually you gave them the aux cord, but what did you expose them to? Totally, I can remember it. We're in our two flat in Logan Square. We had a duplex down and the basement was carpeted and I had a computer with speakers, like some good speakers set up and we would have dance parties. And I have videos on my phone and sometimes I'll send them to the like, family group chat of them like dance parties when they're like two and four and the music was top 40. I actually, after a while, we started breaking it down into years and I would always throw in some Biggie. I'd always throw in some Tupac. We weren't into country yet. So I would always do a lot of classic rock. And I remember when my son was like 10, we were on a cruise and it was a karaoke night and he did Journey. And I was like, and it brought the house down. I was like, this is amazing. Like, that's the song you chose. So we really ran the gamut, but we respected the top 40 because I thought it was important for them to be, to be relevant and understand what their peers are listening to, but also to understand like the music history and that, who I loved and who my wife loved. Well, I think it's easy to shit on the top 40 after you've digested it. Like there's so many people who go, oh, that's just a hit. Well, it's a hit because it was a good song. That's a good song. It's got a good beat to it. Like, and we're not Swifties, but like, go ahead. But I remember on on road trips with my buddies and my buddy Mark Billman, who has a great music taste, but was more into like heavy metal and like alt rock and like cool music. And every time it was my turn to drive, driver gets to pick, he'd be like, what do you want? You know, and that wasn't top 40, but it was more like Beastie Boys and like more mainstream stuff than he would listen to. But he appreciated it. Well, I, I think, secretly, I think. Yeah, I think you because it was probably refreshing. It's not yeah, something totally. he'd play on his own, yeah. but he'd find himself like being into it because yep. it's designed to get you into it. Yeah, I think for me, I was exposed to all of the hits, but I also being in that weird digital stage, mm. I was right at the beginning of what they call the long tail economy, where the hit making era was just ending and the internet distributed choice to everyone. So I, I'm actually going backwards more than I'm going forwards. Yeah, probably. I listen to stuff from the- I think my kids are too. Yeah, I listen to stuff from the 60s, 70s, yeah. 80s, 90s, because it's all there. Yeah, and I love reggae. I love that jam. It's just really calming to me. It's been a lot of fun listening to that. And like, I still, like my playlists are all over the place. And like my son, we were driving in Colorado. We were going from Denver. I was like, dude, share me that playlist. That's awesome. So he's got some really cool taste. I think there's something to being able to connect to the soul of music more than getting boxed into the genre. And my son can break it down. Like he can hear the piano, the drums, the guitar, or my daughter just hears the music and feels it. They're both crazy good dancers too. Like it's crazy. I don't even understand it. Like I have some decent moves, but they have moves. I was like, whoa. I think exposing kids to music is Super one of the best things you could do. No doubt. It opens the world. Do you watch the Grammys at all? Or? I did not, but I so, know we just missed it. I don't I don't really watch the shows, but I look for what the highlights were. And did you see the the fast car performance? 
Mm-mm. It it's worth looking up. I will. And I think um, I've heard a lot of good takes on it, but my favorite was from Bomani Jones. He talked about how a song that came out in the eighties that really detailed the struggle of somebody in between working class and poor um, and how many people can still connect to that today with how tight and how tense things are. But all of our music is about how affluent people are and how successful they are and how rich they are. It's so disconnected from what Mm -hmm. most people go through. Literally most people. It's, it's something to me that I appreciate streaming now because I can go back and I could find something. Like you, you mentioned reggae. Bob Marley is obviously the that most popular. Movie, and that movie coming out, I'm super excited for it. It's going to open a whole generation. I can't wait. And the thing about him is he never gave in to the commercial aspect of it. No. It was truly about healing the world and feeling that love. Yep. That is something that no matter how successful you get, if you don't have that in you, you're always going to be missing something, I yep. think. Totally. Couldn't agree more. Like take everybody with you and like, uh, you know, know who helped you get there and keep them by you. Yeah. We've talked about a lot and I definitely want to pursue this as a friendship outside For of the sure, podcast. Yeah, I appreciate that. What, what's on your mind or on your heart that you just want to, to share to the world having a microphone in front of you? I think balance, you know, it's been a crazy personal year for me uh, without getting too emotional and too deep into it. But I think balance is so critical. I was so focused on succeeding and, and saving and planning when you really have to step back and enjoy the day. And somehow my kids do that maybe because of the way they were raised and my wife's component. But me personally, it's been important for me to learn that balance is critical and not always worry about, I'm a worrier. It sucks. Like, I don't know if you could pull that out of your DNA sometimes, but just try and and really appreciate every single day. And it sounds so cliche and so corny, but it's so true because every day is a good day. And just, if you put in the hard work, appreciate, you know, whatever it is, the weekend or the Monday you're off, like get after it and do it, like enjoy it. That's right. Every day is a great day. For real. Question I ask all of my guests, if there's anyone you could meet, who would it be and why? Uh, You know, I was just talking to my uncle on the way here. I never got to meet my grandfather from my mom's side. So as basic as that is, I love my family and their stories and how they became who they were. And uh, he passed when he was younger before I'd met him. So I'd say that. I mean, if it's a famous person... Sheesh. I don't really, I don't really go that deep. Dude. I told you I'm not spiritual. So I don't really, I don't really have that vision, but like these guys would be cool, man. Like, you know, sitting down with like Biggie and like learning how he grew up and what his drive was. That's cool. Well, I don't necessarily have any answers on what the afterlife is like, but it's possible you'll have a conversation with him one day. I think so, dude. I honestly do. Like I sort of feel like sometimes there's that presence and like that guiding light without being too spiritual that it's there i think it is it's beautiful yeah well i've had a great time likewise dude thanks for letting me share absolutely this has been the much love podcast see you next time thanks guys